I'm Josh Block, sitting in this week for Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Josh. Ross, I am not sure we have ever seen a meeting like we saw last night. Josh, I totally agree. This was such an interesting meeting. This meeting was chock full of votes, but the most important content last night was around the budget vote. Last night was the required vote of the Boston School Committee to vote on the budget for next year. And, you know, as you recall, we talked about this last week on the podcast about some concerns that school committee members had about this budget. So let's play Mr. Cardet Hernandez talking about his concerns around this budget. And the facts that we're not discussing in the budget that I wish were there was that, you know, since 2017, our enrollment's down 7,000 students, but we've hired over 2,000 employees. We have close to 500 teaching positions in the current school year that we can't staff. Uh, There's over 100 paraprofessionals uh, vacancies in our system. We have hundreds of central office vacancies. Our classrooms on average are like 85% enrolled. Our physical footprint, it like far exceeds our need. And it means we're operating and maintaining what some people are saying is 16 or more school buildings more than we should be. We've spent 150 plus million dollars in the last three years on keeping the system afloat through soft landing, $68 million this year alone. Um, and that means we're keeping kids in classrooms without certified teachers. And like I, that for me feels, and you know this because I keep talking about it every time we're together, like it's incomprehensible and I couldn't accept it if it was my own child. Josh, I thought this was a really terrific summary by Mr. Cornette Hernandez of the concerns that he has and that we should all have around this budget. We've talked about this over and over again, Josh, right? The 7,000 decreased number of students in the district while we've increased a couple of thousand adults, which has caused about 500 teacher vacancies currently in our schools, which means that we have thousands and thousands of kids in classrooms without certified teachers. And Mr. Cornette Hernandez is saying, hey, you know, we have hundreds of vacancies in central office, and this budget next year actually increases the central office positions. And so he believes strongly that we have essentially pulled people out of classrooms, put them into central office positions. We've created this mess that we have in our schools where we have so many students in classrooms without certified teachers. And next year's budget just continues to perpetuate the same exact thing. And I thought this was a really excellent way of framing why he has concerns about moving forward with a budget like this. And Ross, we talked about this last week, that essentially what this means is in future years, either BPS is going to have to keep going back to the city asking for more and more money year after year in order to break even, or this is going to result in hundreds of layoffs down the road. And Dr. Stephen Alkins made this point in discussing his vote on last night's budget. We've talked a lot about the the fiscal cliff that we're, we're heading toward, and there's no escaping the conversation that we need to rapidly consolidate our schools. And there seems to be this, I think, understanding across the district that that needs to happen, but that it needs to be done in a way that is equitable and that is inclusive of those communities that are going to be affected. That said, those communities that are primarily affected are students that look like me, 
students that look like a number of folks on, on, on the committee. Definitely our multilingual learners and our multilingual learners with disabilities. And it seems that by keeping schools open, we're sort of bleeding money. And Josh, I totally agree with Dr. Alkins on this point. He's so correct that if we don't figure out what our funding source is going to be going forward, this is an unsustainable system. But Josh, I just want to point out here, we currently have an unsustainable system in the fact that we have so many kids in classrooms with not certified teachers. We don't have, we cannot find enough teachers or paraprofessionals for our kids. So not only can't, we just can't sustain what we currently have. There is no choice but to correct the size of our district. In fact, I think student representative Diego Meta summed this conversation up better than I ever could. We're driving off a cliff, man. So that's all I'm going to say. We're driving off a cliff, man. Josh, this is definitely like a Thumb and Louise moment here. Mr. Meta says it very clearly. He's just like, we're driving off a cliff and we're just saying it's okay. And now here's where the meeting really got interesting. Because Mr. Cardet Hernandez and Dr. Hawkins expressed their hesitation with this budget. And then it got into the process. What happens if the budget is approved last night? What happens if it's not approved last night? And as a reminder, here's what Mr. O'Neill said last week on this topic. If we do not pass a budget, and this is the chance for the superintendent to make a final recommendation, if we don't pass a budget, then the superintendent's original budget is the one that moves forward to city council. And you remember, Josh, last week, we actually said that we, we don't agree with what Mr. O'Neill said. We, in fact, we've heard this year after year where there's this pressure to committee members saying, if you don't vote yes, you know, the budget's going to revert and it's going forward. And it's just not true. But we'll get to this. Let's play first Chair Jerry Robinson's introduction of the vote, where she clarifies what will happen if the members don't vote yes. Let's take the vote. Let's see where the vote lands. And then I can clarify that it does not revert back to the first budget that we saw. It, re it, it reverts to the last budget that was presented, which is the budget that the superintendent actually presented last week. Ross, did she just say what I think she said? I think so, Josh. I don't know if she, I know she's, this is not correct, but she did say that if the school committee doesn't vote yes, that in fact, the budget that the superintendent's recommending anyhow in this year's budget, we'll just go to city council for a vote anyways. So if you vote yes, budget goes to city council. If you vote no, same budget goes to city council. Correct. If you vote yes on the budget, this budget goes to city council for a vote. And if you vote no, the same budget goes to city council for a vote. So now when we heard that, I'm sure we, like every listener, had the same question. And in fact, member Brendan Cardet Hernandez had the same question. If you vote tonight and it doesn't go through, it still goes through, then why would we, why are we voting? What is our governing power as a body around the budget? Why are we voting, Ross? What's what, the point? What is the point of the Boston School Committee? Uh, let, let's, let's be frank here. If there is, if the school committee pretends to have a process every year in which they have input into the budget, they have budget hearings, people have taken hours and hours and hours out of their personal lives to be at these meetings, to be advocating for a budget, to attend budget hearings. And really what we heard from Chair Robinson last night was that none of it matters. Ross, I think about one of my favorite movies, Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
There's a popular theory in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark that Indiana Jones' role in the movie served no purpose. If Indiana Jones never existed, the Nazis still would have looked for the Ark, they still would have found it, they still would have opened it, and they still would have died. That makes a lot of sense, Josh, although we wouldn't have had a lot of horses, riding of horses, and, and a lot of action in the movie. Right, it wouldn't have been a very good movie. But that's what I was thinking about listening to this last night. If the school committee didn't exist, if we didn't have three budget hearings over the last month and a proposed budget and a revised budget and a vote last night, if none of that happened, the superintendent still would have proposed a budget, she still would have amended it to add the new union agreements, and it still would go to city council. That's what Chair Robinson is saying is the process. And then, Josh, Chair Robinson explains why they need to take a vote. Let's take the vote and see where we land. And then if we need to clarify it more, then we will get that clarification. I've got to get clarification from council um, just to make sure I'm giving you exactly the right word. Is that okay with everyone? So Ross, she's saying, good question. Let's just vote. And after the vote, if we need clarity on what happens, we'll get that clarity. Right. But by saying that, members are saying, wait a minute, like it, we need to understand if our vote is meaningless, you know, it, that's one thing. Or if we vote no, we need to understand what happens after. And Mr. Tran raises this point. So what's the importance of the vote? I understand I'm a lawyer, but I understand differently. But I would like to hear it a little more. Yes on the nooks and crannies of this. Yeah. I've read, I've read the, the bylaw, I've read the charter, and I understand it uh, differently. Ross, Mr. Tran already indicated earlier that he planned to vote for this budget. But now he's saying, wait a second, hold on. We need to know what happens here. He's saying, I'm a lawyer. I don't understand this process. Somebody explain this process. And Josh, at this point, Attorney Mackey, who is the legal advisor for the Boston School Committee and the Boston Public Schools, joined the meeting. And Mr. Caret Hernandez kind of pushed and asked this question, what happens if we vote no? Arguably, we wouldn't leave the system without a budget. We would be working to get to a budget that we approve that we would then bring forward to the council. I have not had an opportunity to fully dive into what would happen if the school committee were to take definitive action in the sense of a, of a rejection of the, of the budget this evening and what would happen thereafter. So Josh, really, we have no idea. So the, the attorney doesn't know. <laughs> the cool. Right. Mr. Mr. Tran is an attorney. He doesn't know. Miss Mackey doesn't know. The, the chair and vice chair don't know. What's happening here, Ross? And Josh, how do we not know? We vote on the budget every year. How do we not know what happens if there's a no vote? Was there ever a no vote on the budget? And Ross, there is a correct answer to this. There is a process. And in fact, Brandon Cardet Hernandez has an idea what might happen if they vote no. And in fact, he's correct. Here's what he says. If it doesn't go through, we still have time before a budget is presented on the deadline it needs to be presented to the council to bring a budget forward. It may revert back to the last presentation and we're working off of that, but we still okay. are working off of a budget to present. Okay. So Ross, he's saying if we vote no, the most recent proposal won't automatically go to city council. We'll just be working from that most recent proposal and we'll have an opportunity to keep discussing and keep amending it until we vote affirmatively and send it to city council. That's typically how this works, Josh. Right? And this how is, every vote works. Right? This Rob. is not a mystery, Josh. This is you, If you vote no, you go back to the table and you figure out how to get to yes. And you add meetings. You know, BPS has added or the school committee has added meetings 
For other issues in emergency basis, they would just add meetings. They would figure it out and come to yes. The city council, Josh, by the way, has voted no on the budget a number of times. They vote no. They come back. They negotiate. They get to yes. Yeah. And by the way, the city council votes on this budget in May. It's March. They have time before this goes to city council to keep discussing and keep amending. Totally. So, Josh, here's Vice Chair O'Neill's response to Mr. Cornette Hernandez saying, hey, there's actually an opportunity for us to negotiate further on this budget if we vote no. If our alternative is to either approve this budget or to turn it down, in which case a new budget would have to be figured out in the space of several weeks, I quite frankly can't see how that could possibly happen. And the amount of disruptions to our schools, to our school leaders, to our teachers, to our collective bargaining agreements that were based on a number of assumptions, and most importantly, to our students and our families, without their input, is difficult for me to conceive of. So Ross, Mr. O'Neill is changing his tune here a little bit. Last week, he said, we have to vote yes, or the previous budget will go through. Now he's saying, sure, you're right, we could theoretically keep working on it, but that's totally infeasible. It's been months of process, there's been stakeholders, there's been hearings, we couldn't possibly go back to the drawing board. Josh, I would beg to differ with what Vice Chair O'Neill is saying. There are opportunities to make adjustments to the budget. You know, in fact, they could negotiate to, to say, hey, you know, we're actually going to decrease the number of central office positions and we're going to add more resources to schools. They could say, I think we should decrease central office positions and add more early childhood seats. They could say, let's add more tutoring and figure out how to get kids more academic support. They could change a budget, decrease central office positions and add to social emotional health of our students and add supports there. There's so many things that could happen that could adjust this budget. And here's what Chair Robinson says in response to that. So for me this evening, I also want to support this budget. But as I say, hold us accountable moving forward. Not coming back to this first time in February, but you know, but setting up something that means that each month or every quarter, however we decide to do it, we will be looking at and making adjustments as necessary. So Ross, this directly contradicts what Vice Chair O'Neill just said. Chair Robinson is saying... We'll absolutely be holding this accountable. We'll keep coming back to it. And if we need to make changes as frequently as every month, we'll do that. So I'm so confused, Josh. Like this is, you know, Mr. O'Neill is saying in one month or a little over a month's time, there's no way we can go back and make adjustments. And Chair Robinson is saying, of course, we'll make adjustments month to month. Hold us accountable for doing so. Josh, this is really shining a light on the Boston School Committee and their ability to lead and make decisions. And there was also information presented, Josh, very affirmatively last meeting that was that was clearly wrong. It was absolutely wrong. And now here we are on the final vote without any instruction on what will happen if there is a no vote. And there's really a lot of discontent here because there is opportunity to change this budget to make it more sustainable so that they don't have to deal with such a large physical cliff going forward. But they're really refusing to engage in that issue. And so we get to this point in the meeting Nobody knows what happens with the vote. Nobody knows what happens if it doesn't pass. But Chair Robinson says, let's move forward. Let's take the vote. Ms. Sullivan, will you please call the roll? Dr. Alkins? No. Mr. Cadet Hernandez? No. Ms. Lopera? Ms. Polanco Garcia? Yes. Mr. Tran? Yes. Mr. O'Neill? Yes. Ms. Robinson? Yes. The motion is approved with four yeas and two noes. So right, Josh, with the vote of four to two, the budget passes and heads to the city council. And we'll have to stay tuned to see what the city council does with, the, with this budget. 
So, Ross, hard as it is to believe, the budget was not the only vote last night. In fact, a lot happened last night. So let's back up a little bit. The evening began with the superintendent's report. The superintendent first spoke a lot about summer programming. It's actually pretty great that this year, the summer programs seem to be more robust. And we talked about this on, for the last few years. But this year, they seem to be more robust. And they're opening up enrollment now for families to enroll their students in summer programming. And it's really, it's great. I'm glad they're putting so much effort into this. And hopefully we'll see this mentioned every school committee meeting and we get a sense of how, what enrollment looks like and ensure that all of our students have an, an opportunity for programming this summer. Ross, BPS offers great summer learning opportunities. The only problem in the past has been that it's under-enrolled. But totally. every kid should be able to get into these programs. And that's always been the goal is like to, how do we check in with every student to make sure that they have a plan for the summer? And I think hopefully, uh, you know, it's very clear that Superintendent Skipper cares deeply about this and has her team working diligently on making sure that happens. And then Josh, a member Cadet Hernandez raised a question to the superintendent about the youth risk survey. There were a lot of concerns, it seems, from families around the information that they had about the survey uh, before it was administered to students, the questions that were being asked specifically around sexual behaviors and practices, and then also the sort of like postmortem, like how was it then discussed? So Josh, this is actually taking place in some BPS schools over the last, I guess, week and is going forward, it will be happening in more and more BPS schools where students in the middle grades and high schools are asked a series of questions about their health, their physical health, their mental health, their exercise activities, their food eating activities, as well as their sexual activity. And this survey has really shown for the last 20 years, if not longer, to have really important data that helps the school district understand what do they need to address, what resources need to be put into place to support the students in the schools. And this is done all over the country. It's called the Youth Risk Survey, and it is sponsored by the CDC. Now, there's some controversy here, Josh. There was a question added by BPS that was part of a bank of questions from the CDC that was provided to sixth graders at a school last week. And that question had a definition, explicit definition of a sexual activity for the students and ask them if they engage in that activity, yes or no. And the concern that was mentioned from a number of families was one, they weren't aware that that was a question that sixth graders would be asked. They were wondering why that question was added to the survey. And they also were wondering why there needs to be a definition and instruction in the survey. In fact, they were saying, look, why can't the survey be asking questions of behavior that the students have engaged in rather than then be educational descriptive of the behavior. And if students don't know what it is, can't we just add a response saying, yes, I do that. No, I don't do that. Or I don't know what that is. And that's what, that's what came up last night, Josh, on the survey. There's also Mr. Cadet Hernandez and the superintendent were talking about ways that this could be introduced in a better way to families so that they can be prepared to talk to students about the, what's mentioned in the survey so that they could, you know, sort of be ready for those conversations and more supports in schools should students have questions about what is asked on these surveys, because sometimes the content can be upsetting to students and to adults. So Ross, after the superintendent's report, there was a brief public comment period, only nine speakers last night, and then three votes, the first of which was the budget vote, and then votes on the two presentations we heard last week, one on the transportation management contract with TransDev, and a second on the proposed funding for a Shaw-Taylor new building. 
So let's take those one at a time. Sure. And Josh, I just want to mention during the public comment, I, I was really struck by how we didn't hear what we didn't hear. We didn't hear from any schools around the budget. We didn't hear from the Henderson School. We heard from them last week about their concerns. We didn't hear from the Sumner families That's right. on the Philbrick merger. And we didn't hear from the Horseman School for the Deaf or from other schools that are experiencing mergers. So I'm hoping that's a sign that things that they're engaged and things are moving forward in all of those schools and their voices are being heard. We did, though, Josh, hear from a number of families from the Blackstone School, mostly around bilingual education again. And so, Josh, the TransDev contract, we spoke about this on our last podcast. This is a management contract. There was questions raised, uh, deep questions raised at the last meeting about the, you know this company and should they be able to do this? They've been part of the problem with transportation. But Josh, kind of after this budget fiasco last night, there wasn't much energy and all the members voted affirmatively for the TransDev contract. Russ, the budget conversation and vote was about two hours long. And then the two other votes last night collectively were about 10 minutes. They were 10 minutes. It was hard to even get a motion to move these things forward. The people were just kind of, I think, were stunned by the conversation at the budget. And the Shaw-Taylor merger came up last night where we talked about this last meeting. This is about not only the merger of the Shaw and the Taylor School, but in fact, a new building through the MSBA that essentially it, the process will take about a year to get approval. So around around a year to get approval. And then if approved by the MSBA, the new, a new building would be built in Southern Dorchester, Mattapan Line by 2030. And Josh, previously there was concerns raised about, you know, wait, should we have a master facilities plan before we take action on a, a new school? What about the schools that have failed MSBA process? Should they go back into the MSBA process? But we didn't hear much about that last night, Josh, and the vote passed affirmatively by all the members. And then Ross, there were two additional reports last night. The first was on two new union agreements. And then the second was on a student absenteeism report. So let's again take those one at a time. Josh, there was two presentations last night for contracts that will come up for a vote at the next meeting. One was for cafeteria workers and one was for safety officers. Both those contracts seem completely in line with everything from previous contracts. Nominal raises, about 2.5% a year, pretty much the same content as every other union contract. And we'll hear from school committee members at the next meeting if they vote affirmatively for those, but we suspect they will. And then, Josh, there was one last presentation last night on chronic absenteeism. And this is a really concerning topic. And the superintendent started this presentation with really naming the concern that she has around data and around graduation requirements and understanding the fact that we have waived MCAS requirements for the last number of years for students. Now they're back into play and students will have to pass the MCAS in order to graduate from high school. And then the superintendent really sort of honed in on the concern she has around chronic absenteeism for our youngest learners and for our learners in high school. Now, Ross, there were a few bright spots in this report. We saw that most schools have lower rates of chronic absenteeism this year than they did last year. And we also saw that overall across BPS, rates of chronic absenteeism are down 8% from last year. That's right. It is, it is trending in the right direction, but nowhere near where we were pre-pandemic. And That's so right. we do see students who are age 16 and older, about 25% of them are chronically absent. And Josh, just a reminder what that means, that's 10% of school days missed. And that can be upwards of, you know, for an entire year, 18 days missed of school. It's just highly concerning. And the district has put into place a number of things to respond to the symptoms here, right? They have been reaching out to families. They have been sending home reminders to parents and trying to nudge them to say, hey, your student's absent more than other students. 
which are all admirable things. And as you noted, is dropped by about 8% from last year, but still really concerning. And Josh, this, this issue really, we have to get the core of this issue of why students are not going to school. Now, Ross, we talked last week about the new organizational chart for BPS and how, if done well, this is an opportunity for a lot of cross-department collaboration. And it seems to me this chronic absenteeism issue is a perfect opportunity to put that chart to the test. Particularly, one concerning statistic we saw last night is that chronic absenteeism rates are high among multilingual learners and students and IEPs. Right. And now, especially with students and IEPs, we know part of that centers around transportation issues. But this is a great opportunity for facilities management, transportation, multi Office of Multilingual Learners, the Office of Special Education, for all of these departments to get together and solve this problem. Right, Josh. I mean, you're totally right. If we can't get kids to school because we don't have an, an aid in the bus, then they're going to be chronically absent. If students are going to school with an uncertified teacher, which we know thousands of our kids are going to school without a certified teacher, what's happening in those classrooms? Are the students engaged in appropriate learning um, or do they feel disengaged? Do our students feel seen and heard in the curriculum materials that we have in our schools? And if they don't, they're more likely not to go to school. We also know that, Joshua, there's an article recently published in the Boston Globe with students, Asian students, feeling anonymous in schools. And many of them saying that the teachers don't even know their names. If students feel like they're anonymous or they don't, that the teachers don't know their names, that there's not strong relationships, they may not want to go to school. So I totally agree with you. This is not one department, but in fact, it's every department in BPS, every one of those 15 chiefs should play a role in lowering chronic absenteeism. So Ross, what's clear is there are a lot of big, important issues facing BPS over the next year. And now we have a budget that is meant to tackle these issues. <laughs> right, Josh, we, we do have a budget that is trying to tackle some key issues and also is completely structurally flawed. And Chair Robinson asked, I think she was asking the public, she said, hold us accountable for this. And she said, uh, we will revisit this on a monthly basis and we'll make adjustments and we'll make changes. So let's do that. Let's hold the school committee accountable for the budget that they just passed. And that's what happened last night at school committee. We want to thank our listeners for all the comments and feedback you've sent us on everything from the performance of electric buses in the winter to the latest in school skills development programs to the need for greater focus on equitable grading, a topic we'll actually come back to in a few weeks. If you have additional thoughts or concerns about how BPS is serving your student, please send us an email at podcast at shawfoundation.org. That's S-H-A-H foundation.org. Now, before we sign off, we want to tell you about our other podcast, Catalysts for Change. We recently wrapped up a special three-part series on education, exploring the present and future of world-class education with academics, authors, and innovators. You can listen to the full series now by searching for Catalysts for Change wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.